Welcome to the Constructionist Podcast, hosted by Caleb. Just as we grow gardens and build buildings, God is building you through the renewing of your mind. The sufficiency of the scriptures is paramount in your journey, and every week, Caleb will challenge you to make them a central part of your life and worldview. Join us now as we explore the world through the ancient lens of God's Word. Good morning or good afternoon or good evening, friends. Welcome back to the Constructionist Podcast. My name's Caleb, and here we always want to be building you up, which is most of the time what we're talking about. We like to use the analogy of a building with a foundation. I'm an uh, electrician by trade, and so I'm familiar with buildings and getting the foundation right so that when the building goes up, it doesn't collapse upon you. That's actually a really good analogy for living our life out. But today we want to talk about a, sor- a bad uh, way of living our life out. So I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I'm currently working on my master's. And so the paper that I'm writing at the moment is requiring me to delve back into some of the philosophical ideas of the Enlightenment which has always been a subject that I've been somewhat interested in, but I've just never uh, gotten to a point where I've been able to sort of look at it in, in uh, a concentrated period of time. So I'm trying to track uh, the parallels between the Enlightenment and the hermeneutical trends of the evangelical church. And, but I'm going back to the 1600s, early 1700s, 1800s, that kind of era, you know, the John Bacon and Rene Descartes era, and trying to get my head around what these guys believed and why they took on the ideas that they did. And there's certainly some trends that are popping up. And one of the trends that I want to talk about right now is this issue of the understanding of history. Because I came across a chap uh, who, his name is, and I think I'm saying this right, Gothold, Gothel Lessing. So Gothel Lessing is a German, uh, he was actually a, one of the first, lit- uh, not literary, uh, theatrical critics. He was very well known in Germany of his day for writing reviews and um, he uh, and critic uh, he was a, a critic of the theater so he was very popular <clears throat> his writings were very popular he was also a librarian for a time uh, but he grew up his dad was actually a Lutheran pastor and he did study theology at university which in those days loads of people did it's like when you read about these guys from the uh, you know the sixteenth, the seventeenth, eighteenth century. They all seem to study philosophy and rhetoric and theology and things like that. Uh, very well traveled. A lot of them, uh, obviously multilingual, because in those days, uh, like Rene Descartes, even though he was French, he wrote in Latin because that was the academic language of the day, and so it was something that could be published and distributed throughout all of Europe and everybody would be able to read it. Um, Speak it is a different issue, but reading it, they could all read it. And that's why we have the Cartesian idea, you know, the the cartography and the Cartesian method or way of viewing the world. Rene Descartes was the one who said, I think, therefore I am. He was uh, famous for that and is kind of considered the father of modern philosophy. 
But <coughs> Herr Lessing came along very quickly after that. And so he was picking up sort of where Descartes left off. And one of Descartes' ideas was this uh, principle of uh, analogy or a method of analogy where now we have this sort of thing, if, I rem if I'm right on this, we have this sort of thing in evolutionary theory. So evolutionary theory, from what I've gathered, is that the present is the key to the past. So as we see things as they are today, then if we go back millions of years backward, then we'll eventually get to our origins. And so the slow processes over time, but the key looking at birds and trees and volcanoes and rocks and things like that are all the key to the past and all that goes slow and method you know plodding along through time so we because we're only looking at it in our brief 40 years as a geologist or whatever it is but uh, uh descartes kind of came up with this idea of whatever we can perceive as reasonably possible now in the present is how we should understand the past okay so this threw a huge amount of doubt on certain historical things like the gospels and the and the miracles that took place in the bible so this is where mr lessing comes in mr lessing came along and now remember we're talking about bad foundations <laughs> This is not how we want to build our life, okay? Uh, so Mr. Lessing came along, and he's reading the Gospels and the Bible. He's looking at the Red Sea crossing. Uh, he's looking at sticks, staffs turning into snakes. He's looking at the walking on water. He's looking at turning uh, water into wine. Whatever he's looking at, and he's thinking to himself, huh, according to the principle of analogy, method of analogy, uh, what I can perceive today is, some, is how I need to understand the past. And so because I don't see miracles happening today, therefore they are accidents of history, and so I have no way of letting them be a, a, a reasonable proof of my belief in the Bible. Therefore the Bible's not authoritative at all and I can throw it out. He was followed by Immanuel Kant, who said essentially the same thing. It's because the Bible is conditioned by history, and we can't go back and see any of that stuff taking place, and because it's not taking place today, then therefore it's not authoritative, it's not true, it couldn't have, it couldn't have, we can't use it. We can't use it. Now, we can use the morals out of the Bible, but we can't trust the history of the Bible. Now, this is a dangerous place to be, all right? Let's take this a little bit further. I was watching a video of a creationist and an evolutionist. And they were having a discussion. And the creationist, who believes that God made humans and the whole of the universe, says to the evolutionist, who believes that something came from nothing and evolved over millions of years, the creationist asked the evolutionist, what proof do you have that evolution is true. And his response was, well, we're here. That was his proof. Now, I think the creationists would probably say the same thing if the, if the question had been asked from the other side. If the evolutionists had said that, he would have said, well, we're here. So both of them are 
taking their positions of what they believed was happening in the past and or looking at the present and saying that's proof of what was happening in the past. So in my opinion, that was a little bit of a mistake done by the creationists because of course I would hold his position as well that God did and create everything in the past. But as has been pointed out from a philosophical perspective, the Big Bang or whatever you want to call it from an evolutionary perspective that kicked off the, the, the world as we know it and the universe as we know it was a one-off event and is non-repeatable and nobody was alive now who saw it happen back then. You could just as easily argue that God saying, let there be light and bringing about the creation that we see today, nobody was around then to see it. And so it was a one-off event. And so there we are, we're stuck. We're both stuck. We're both in our same spot. Now that does not automatically render both positions philosophically completely untrue, okay? Or, or impossible or, or unauthoritative. There has to be a truth back there somewhere. Things actually did happen. And this is one of the problems with the Enlightenment thinkers. I believe this was a hole in their thinking is that they tended to say, well, we've been kind of trapped in this sort of medieval way of looking at things and uh, we don't really like the, the dogma of the Roman Catholic Church and we want to get, because remember the Reformation happened in 1516, if I remember correctly. And so these guys are living sort of in the glow of the Reformation and this new freedom of being able to think for themselves without some priest coming along and saying, I will tell you how to think. And oh, by the way, you can't have access to any of the books that I'm reading. I'm, I'm the one that states what you should be believing about everything. So that's how it worked back in the, in the day. And uh, there's a, there was a breaking away of that, which I'm not gonna say is a bad thing. It was probably a very good thing. Humans should have the freedom to search for themselves truth. And so there is this pushing out of this dogma, of this uh, tradition, of this long-held way of doing things. I mean, the Catholic, Roman Catholic Church had a grip on Europe for close to a thousand years, so uh, nobody really knew any different. But it overflowed too much, and so the Enlightenment thinkers, in their endeavor to break themselves free of the shackles of this, uh, you do what we say and think the way we want you to think, they pushed for uh, the scientific method. They pushed for seeing things happen now in front of them as a means of determining what is true and what is not true. And so you had people like uh, Rene Descartes who in, you know, invented calculus, you know, he, he uh, determined coordinates in, an op in a three-dimensional space and things like that, which is still used today to, uh, in mathematics. But he also uh, was trying to work out how the mind and the body work together, and he had theories about the pineal gland and how that gland pushed uh, fluid into your muscles and made them operate, you know. And people came along later who were studying anatomy and they determined that that was incorrect. So, you know, guys like Descartes got things right and wrong. But uh, Lessing has now attached to him this label of, uh, or this, uh, this conundrum of Lessing's ditch. See, he got to a point where he realized 
if I take this principle of analogy to its logical conclusion, if I say because I'm not seeing miracles happen today, therefore they are not true, the Bible is not authoritative, I can chuck it out the window and carry on with my own reasonable way of looking at the world, it put him in a very bad position. And he actually referred to it as a ditch that he couldn't get out of and pleaded that people would help him get out of that ditch. So Lessing's ditch is now the term used for uh, your sort of your own walking forward in your own reason to come to truth and not being able to get out of and falling into a ditch that you can't get out of. Because he, he had no authoritative truth then. He was stuck just within himself. And basically there is no means of salvation, if that's the case. Because what we see in the Bible is that God builds uh, truth and theology on history and we have eyewitness testimony of the things that happened. And so we have eyewitness testimony of the Red Sea crossing. We have eyewitness testimony of water turning into wine. We have eyewitness testimony of the resurrection. We have these things. Paul talks about the eyewitness testimony of the resurrection. And, you, and this case, all, the, all these miracles in the Bible all had somebody see it happen. And so, and it was written down. Now you could take Lessing's logical steps in his principal analogy, and you can disprove him. He lived in the past, so he's historically conditioned. And I'm here in the present, and I've never seen him. And because I've never seen him, and never met him, and never talked to him to know that he was ever a real person, maybe he was entirely fictitious and made up. And so therefore I can take his books and throw them out the window and carry on my merry way and pretend like he never existed. You see how that works? I mean, it's not hard to come to those conclusions, and I'm, it's a little sad to think that maybe they, I don't know, maybe he did think further down the road and say, you know what, someday I'm going to be dead, and there's going to be people who come after me, and they're going to read my works, and they're going to follow my logic, and they're going to make me a zero. They're going to turn me into nothing. They're going to throw me out the window, just like I'm throwing the Bible out the window. So we can't have that. That's, that's very... Uh, <laughs> That's a very sad way to live life. If we just decide that, well, because it's not right here in front of our face right now, and because I can't do an experiment and make it happen, and because I can't um, go up and touch it, then what's the point? You know. So we have people like John in John chapter one, who says, we're writing about the person of Jesus Christ that we've seen with our eyes and our hands have handled. Jesus was someone you can go up to and you could shake his hand. And John wrote it down. And because he wrote it down, his words now have that authority. They represent the, 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 the life that he lived and what he saw as true and reliable, okay? This is no different than going into a court of law. If you went into a court of law and, and Joe Bloggs was murdered by Jim Bloggs, his brother, and the defense attorney for Jim Bloggs is over there saying, well, my, my client, Joe, Jim Bloggs, couldn't have possibly killed his brother, Joe Bloggs, because that happened in the past and it's historically conditioned. And because nobody uh, in this room is stating that they knew anything about it firsthand, then he must be innocent. And the judge says, case closed, he's innocent. I mean, it doesn't work like that. We look at eyewitness testimony. We look at written testimony. 
we look at all sorts of things that point to the reality of history and what actually happened. That's what historians' jobs are all about, is to try to find out what really did happen in these scenarios. And so we could take that analogy that, that Lessing and Descartes developed, and we can basically throw out anything we want. And this is a really bad thing. Now, God himself, this is part of the problem, is they have a small view of God. So let me ask you a question. What is your view of God? How big is your God? They're beginning from a perspective of themselves. They're sitting there. Rene Descartes did most of his writing and thinking lying in bed. So he, so he sat there in his bed, woke up in the morning, got his cup of tea, fluffed up his pillow, and just started thinking. And he's sitting in this room all self-obsessed and self-absorbed with his little environment around him. And people are now taking these ideas uh, from this guy that was sitting in his little room, self-obsessed with his own ideas, and, and saying, this is how we should view all of life everywhere. Uh, let me politely and, and respectfully say that Descartes was wrong in his estimation of things. God is bigger than all of that. If we read the scriptures... The, the theology and the history are intermingled together constantly. Let's just look at one example of Passover. Passover to the Jews is a commemoration of the crossing of the Red Sea and coming out of Egypt. And the, and the, and the death of the firstborn of Egypt and the saving of the nation of Israel. That then was passed on to the church through what we now call communion or the Lord's Supper, something like that. And so we now take part of this, this thing where Jesus stood there and said, this is my body and this is my blood. It all goes together. So you had an historical event called uh, the Exodus. From that came a festival called Passover. From that festival called Pas Passover, Jesus lived, went through his trial, was was declared innocent and yet put to death anyway, resurrected from the dead, just as the nation of Israel sort of resurrected, came out of Egypt as this living and vibrant nation where it looked like they were about to die. Jesus rose from the dead and then, and then it, but in the process of all that, during the actual Passover, he said, do this in remembrance of me. So to this day, Millions of churches around the world and millions and millions and millions of believers around the world take the wine as a representation of his blood and the bread as a representation of his body because we recognize that he did something historically. And it goes all the way back to coming out of Egypt. And then Jesus, Paul says, um, or the Bible, I guess, says, do this in remembrance of me and, and also linking it to his second coming. And so we remember the past just like we're remembering his words about the future. So it goes backwards and forwards, but it was all set in history and we kind of reenact it on a regular basis, even in ourselves in modern, current, present day history, if you want to put it that way. So you see how that works. God uses history as a means of expounding and explaining theology and truth and showing forth his character. And if we're going to read the Bible and say things like, well, you know, that kind of thing can't happen today, then your God is too small. Because Hebrews says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is a God 
who exists in eternity, he's the creator of this entire universe. He can, he can interact with his creation when and how he sees fit. And if we match ourselves up to his conditions and his character, that he will work through us and we will see him in action here on the earth. So ignore all that business about the enlightenment ideas of, of we are who we are and it's our own reason and our own uh, uh, preconceptions and our own a priori belief, you know, things that we can do, we can work all this stuff out on our own. Loaded drivel. We can't work this stuff out on our own. We need God to intervene into human history in order to educate us and give us a way forward because in and of ourselves, because of sin, we're, we're going to be dead. And read Matthew 24 if you think otherwise. We're just going to be dead. And so we have to have this revelation of God constantly, and it's embodied in the scriptures. That is where God speaks to us first and foremost. So I gave you a little bit of a hint as to how not to build up your life. And so now we will go forward recognizing that that is a negative. Let's aim toward the positive. So be strong, read the scriptures. Thank you for listening. Continue in the Lord. God bless you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you were challenged and encouraged by what you heard today, please feel free to share it with any friends or family you like. You're welcome to email us at calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. That's calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. And remember to leave a comment at iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere that you listen to podcasts.